This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Global Leadership Platform, Leadership Masterclass. We're excited to be here, multiplying leaders, moving society. That's what we try and do. I'm Adrian Grunewald, and with me, the old man, Louis Grunewald. Father-son combination, believe it or not. Old man, welcome again. Adrian, looking forward to today's discussion once again. Yeah, we've got lots of... Um, Polarity in our country, a lot of interesting things happening, and we have a leader who's driving a part of that narrative in the studio today. Our leadership masterclass today with Kali Creel, the CEO of Afri Forum. Kali, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. Yes, Adrian. Thank you. It's a pleasure speaking to you. You know, I haven't been in this. Uh, we've been doing so many, you know, recordings in leader offices. I still say welcome to the studio, but we're actually in Kali's office. Yes. <laughs> so we're on his turf, um, and, uh, and and it's a it's a pleasure to be. Uh, the last time we were here, it was an interview with Harinel. Yes. And, uh, and uh, yeah. you were telling us now he's doing well, he's got his yes. team, and busy, busy, busy. Yes, and of course his first success is the fact that the Rizane Zuma is now going to be prosecuted, mm. which wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Advocate Nell's intervention. Yeah, people can easily say, well, he, that didn't happen, but the purpose is so that prosecution happens. They weren't going to do it. The certificate went out. So it swung back to, okay, we'll prosecute. Yes, that's always for us the first prize. Uh, we yeah. said we need to see the NPA doing its job, and we will intervene if they don't. But if the, the mere fact that Advocate Nell's office exists and that he has the ability to prosecute, if that leads to the NPA changing their mind, as happened in the Dizane Zuma case, that is for us the first prize, and then we can go on to the next matter. Excellent. Kali, we are going to get to, if anyone wondering, we are going to get to all those issues that have been in the media of late. Uh, this is a leadership show, but you've been in the media a lot, uh, more than usual perhaps in the last month or so, I don't know. So we'll get there. But first, being a global leadership platform, we want to talk about leadership. Yeah. And before we go there, um, in sort of the first half of the of the conversation, just your background. You, you know, you're a, you're a teacher in trade, mm. then you studied further, ended up in this part of the world. Just give us your background briefly. Yes, I'm a Pretoria boy. Um, uh, since I was a young boy, we've been staying here, moved to a few places, but for short uh, times. Um, but I went to high school um, in, in the north of Pretoria. I studied at the University of, of Pretoria, uh, did a master's in political geography. What's political geography? You know, political science. Yeah. What's the, the geography um, element? Well, I focus specifically what the influence of demographics is on what political models are possible. Um, um, we know that in terms of the apartheid system, uh, did not work, um, and uh, for many reasons, of course, because it uh, infringed on the dignity of people, but also in terms of the demographics. You cannot have a minority controlling an area where there is a majority. Um, so I had a look all over the world what political solutions there are um, that are just, um, that respects everybody's dignity, um, but also make sure that uh, minorities um, also have a place under the sun. Um, so I looked at various, at Ethiopia, at Belgium, at Canadian examples. Um, so I believe uh, demographics is actually the driving factor in whatever political solution you need to find. Okay, interesting. Mm. A PhD on the cards? 
No, no. I, no. Uh, I, after I, I studied, uh, I met my wife. She's an educational psychologist. And uh, we now have uh, five children and two dogs. Um, so they're keeping me busy together with my work at Afri Forum. So at this stage, um, too much. <laughs> I'll maybe one day if I retire, look at the doctor. Kali, before we go over to some mm. of the, 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 the more recent discussion points in our country, um, let's just get your views on leadership because you're a leader. You've led Afri Forum from the start. It's more than a decade now, starting with no members to hundreds of thousands of members. Mm. It's, it's a remarkable movement, uh, Louis, old man. So there's, there's leadership involved, yeah. and, and we want to just quickly um, get your views on leadership. So the, the question we in general ask leaders are, what statements best describe an authentic leader to you? Let's discuss you, your three or four principles so that we yes. can share it with the world. Yes, I'm not going to go into a philosophical discussion on this. I think there's many books, there are many books that are written um, on the issue and many theories. Um, I will focus specifically on, on what I learned through experience in my, in the last 12 years uh, since uh, we started AFRI Forum. Uh, for me, the one single principle is, is that, uh, the, that assists a leader is that of a motivational factor that is driven by a cause. Um, and that, we always say, is our secret weapon. Um, like any organization, of course, um, uh, we are not perfect people. Sometimes there's a lot of organizational challenges, as you get in all businesses. But our secret weapon is uh, when your staff knows that we are working for a cause um, that is much bigger than themselves, um, it actually drives people, and you don't have to micromanage um, to make sure that people do everything. If they, if they are driven by that cause, um, um, they will make sure that there's a lot of energy they put in. They will focus on making a practical difference. Um, they will uh, show endurance. Um, we know if it was easy uh, to run an organization, everybody would have done it successfully. Mm. Um, but if you have that calling that you have a cause that is bigger than yourself, than yourself, okay. Um, then you can overcome many problems uh, because you're not going to take it lying down. You're going to know what I'm going to do in office today is not simply just another job. Um, I'm going to make a difference in the lives of people, going to help to create a future, giving hope. And, and that is actually okay. our secret weapon and that we apply uh, from our leadership to make sure that we take our whole team forward. So, I mean, we hear this a lot, and it's a powerful principle. Mm. All you need is for your people that you employ, that, that work with mm. you, to connect emotionally and intellectually, I guess, with the cause. Mm. And then half the battle is won, uh, because yes. then, then they'll work when you're not there. They'll work late hours if they need to. They, they're driven by self-motivation rather mm. than your motivation, because yeah. they've connected with the cause. Old man, thoughts on that? I mean, that is a – there's definitely – I mean, in corporate, depends on the leadership um, – environment some seem to have a bigger challenge to have a cause because some causes are just money Kali, obviously we see hundreds of quality leaders and thought leaders as well <clears throat> and quite frankly a common trend amongst those we respect the most and uh, those who have certain kind of a fresh passion in what they do all driven by a cause of which uh, by the way, the, the profitability may be a lesser cause. It's never the main to these people as well. Mm -hmm. They're all, of course, Africa is now generating 
those kind of leaders. And other leaders are starting to lag behind because people see through them. The body language says they're not really uh, convinced what they're doing is right. So we find people with a genuine genuine motivation you know to serve the higher the higher laws or intelligence it's a good feeling yes i, I think if uh, the bottom line is simply making money you are bound not to make a lot of money um, if your bottom line is something bigger um, generating capital is something that comes with that passion and it's it actually follows the passion yes okay so a little later on the master class we'll look at the cause of afri forum and, and your personal cause in life okay what's uh, the next principle that to you describe authentic leadership well i um something we do quite strongly is to have confidence in young people to be able to do the job um and uh, if you're going to look at the age of Afri Forum staff, um, the average is around 30 years of, of age. That's um, young, yeah. So we appoint many people straight out of university, and the most of our staff that we have here, um, their first job is the job that they have with Afri Forum. Uh, why it works for us? I know in many big companies people would say you want a certain amount of experience, um, but because we're different than a normal company and uh, we, ha we have unique challenges, um, sometimes the experience you get um, in the corporate world, you have to actually make sure that you get rid of that experience mm. uh, because the challenges we have, for instance, um, we're doing things like fixing potholes, testing water, um, starting community safety initiatives, uh, which is many things that uh, the government should actually fund from taxpayers' money. Um, and in our situation, we, we're also a big business. is quite scared of supporting an NGO that sometimes have to take a stance against government. Mm. So you have to now um, think in a way that has never been thought in the past. How are you going to do these functions? How are you going to fund it? And, and that is something that you... That is not a similar kind of organization. And, and what we've seen from, from young people is a lot of energy and creativity. And that has actually helped us to bring about something that has not been seen in, in Africa before. Um, with our 208,000 members plus, uh, we are the biggest, uh, civil rights organization in Africa. Um, and, uh, Apart from what I mentioned just now, the cause, um, uh, the second pillar, as I've mentioned now, is the energy that you get from young people, creativity. And, of course, my dad, um, you, you're lucky to still have your dad here. Uh, my dad had passed away. He said he'll rather try and haul in a, a wild horse than trying to resuscitate the dead horse. Um, and that is sometimes people are scared of young people because they... Uh, they run faster mm. than most people, but um, our our view is rather all in people and uh, and and calm them a bit down than trying to get somebody just to get some energy. And that formula okay. works quite well. And, and I guess that connects you with the next generation in a natural kind of way, doesn't it? Yes, and it gives your organisation potentially longevity from a pure corporate or organizational point of view if 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 your target and one of your key success factors is the the energy of young people and we all know the youth is, is our biggest challenge in the country youth yeah. unemployment and so on that just naturally connects you with that audience 
Uh, that, mm. that could be powerful. Oh, no. <clears throat> I believe, you know, we find in, in authentic leadership, the term we use, that your mind, mindset is vital, especially in our incredibly changing environment worldwide, but especially in this country. And I imagine if you rely on this younger generation, a lot of the uh, perhaps negative uh, mindsets of the past is far easier to change. Mm. It's a very important factor because it, <laughs> your example of the you know, old horse to revive that is not all that easy. Yeah. Mm. Maybe if I can just add, um, normally if you want to appoint somebody, you can have a, a month-long process screening them, having interviews. Uh, but the benefit we have, um, and uh, one of the things is that um, we, in at a lot of universities, we form uh, AfriForum youth branches, and we also have those branches in 70 towns mm. uh, across the country. And, uh, well, maybe I should shouldn't uh, say this while I'm being recorded, but you have the ability to have a young person actually being involved in a three or four year long job interview um, because the involvement in your youth structures, um, you can see what the abilities oh. are, you can see what the energy levels are. And then, of course, we use that as a pipeline in of terms of people coming into the company. Okay. And if you look at the four deputy CEOs of um, of every forum at the moment, three of them were people that came through our youth structures. Um, so um, that is very important for us to use that as a pipeline uh, to bring in uh, new energy into the organization. I'm actually one of the eldest people here working here. <laughs> Kali, give us your next principle that describes authentic leadership. Well, I, um, it's actually become a cliche, and you've probably heard it, quite a lot, um, but it still remains true, and that is that um, you have to surround yourself uh, with the best people, um, and you have to be able to um, to recognize your own blind spots. Um, so what our mechanism uh, is that we use in terms of the, the consultants, uh, we use the whole strength finder principle, um, and then, of course, you don't focus on your well, they don't speak about weaknesses nowadays. They speak about development areas. But mm. uh, to be quite frank, every person has a number of weaknesses. And the important thing is um, um, you can now work very hard, and it will be energy tapping to work on those development areas. But we would rather say focus on your your strong points um, and um, make sure that that is utilized. Mm. But then um, in your team, have a variety of people whose, whose abilities can, can actually make up for where those gaps are in your, in your own leadership ability. Yeah. And that's what um, I'm fortunate to have in the organization, uh, varying people. Uh, we can have the bites think differently on many issues, but those are important. You don't want to have a situation where everybody... Um, in Afrikaans, we have a term, yabrus. Um, you want to have people that can openly state an alternative view, that can um, have alternative methods and uh, actually create a team um, mm. of diverse people, but that can work uh, effectively towards one goal. Yeah, a lot of leaders would say uh, you must have a strong team around you. You must have a team with members that are... Be better than yourself, uh, but not not all leaders do that. In in actual fact, when it gets to the actual the point, then they don't like to be feel to feel threatened by 
more qualified or more dynamic individuals around them. But that's a powerful principle. You have another principle? Well, I maybe it's, um, it's just something I read. If um, Jim Collins is well known um, for his uh, what he wrote about from good to great. Um, but what many people will not know is he also wrote a very small book from good to great um, in the social sector. I never knew that. Yeah. yeah, and uh, what is important um, in that book, and it guides you in terms of leadership. Um, when we started Afri Forum, I actually used the wrong word for it. Um, I said we need to run this like a business, not in a sense, you know, as an NGO and a, that is a non-profit company. We don't have shareholders and dividends that's being paid out. What you do have is you, in terms of the law, but also in principle, the funds you generate has to be used for your for your goals. Um, but um, I also always said you still need to be um, sustainable like any other business. You need to be able to fund what you want to go and do, so you have to generate uh, capital. Um, but what Jim Collins wrote is it's actually not business principles um, because you can have certain businesses that don't succeed. So you don't necessarily just want to say all business principles are good. It's actually organizational principles. Almost. Yes. Well, yeah. he speaks, he says uh, we should speak the language of greatness um, to make sure. And, and that applies to a, a business for profit, but also a, a non-profit uh, companies such as ourselves um, and if you if you have that um, um, because I think in the problem is uh, we see many NGOs failing um, and um, it's sometimes it's being used as an excuse to say well because we're an NGO we actually have to struggle so it's an, an excuse for mediocrity um, but if you say well there's no reason why NGO should not uh, strive toward greatness like any other company um, our dividend is what we achieve um, and not what our profit is at the end, end of the year mm. um, but to achieve the same applies you need to have a generate a stable income a predictable income you need to grow your income and you have to make sure that you you use your resources as effectively to get as much results um, with what you have, um, and that has worked for us uh, for for us quite well. And together with that is, um, uh, we have a principle to say uh, we need a plan, but an achievable plan. Mm. It it won't help if you go on a daydream and you have these huge plans, but it's not uh, you cannot achieve it practically. So you have to have a plan that is possible to achieve. But then you need the capacity to implement that plan. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where the problem is with many NGOs. You, you have great ideas, but you don't have the capacity to, Im to implement it. So we have to focus to build capacity in the organization in terms of leadership, in terms of uh, capital, um, in terms of having people that are volunteers that support you. Mm. Uh, and the combination of a achievable plan and the ability to implement that plan is actually a, a winning recipe. I mean, you could have the most amazing cause, mm. honestly, inspirational, and people want to rally behind mm. it. But if you don't have the structures and the resources and, and often the money 
to do that, then your cause mm. just dies a slow death. And um, people very quickly forget that cause. Yes. Uh, when you can't even pay the bills mm. and you've got no premises. And, and, and uh, you're right, a lot of NGOs um, don't run it like a business or like an organization or speak the language mm. of greatness. Old man, you want to? Just on the, on the point, the language of greatness, um, Carly, is, is something that obviously you would want reflected in everything you do, not just in a kind of uh, the vision and occasional management meetings, but the language of greatness is also the language of honest integrity, but also the best out of every possible person. It's a language of drawing the best of everybody around you. Um, that part of people that can move situations in a in a positive direction. So that language of greatness obviously becomes in a culture within the organization. I assume that's what you mean. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. And you know what is... Uh, Quite nice for me is the fact uh, as we've grown, we've started off with only three staff members and um, and no um, no members that were contributing, no resources and um, and in the beginning you were able to keep your finger on everything that happens. But as soon as you know, when we've grown to more than 150 staff members, um, you cannot um, you cannot. You have to make sure that you have people that can, that are driven by uh, the strive towards greatness. And what is the nicest for me is if I go to a function that was organized or a project that was organized by some of the staff here where I'm not involved in that project, um, but you get there and you can actually say, yes, this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives you confidence. It, it creates a lot of space where you can focus on strategic issues um, because you don't have to worry that you have to go down trying to persuade people to do things great. Uh, they do it themselves, and they do it great. So uh, that gives one a lot of space uh, to focus on what is needed to be focused on. Connie, those are good principles. I think let's move on, and, and if we need to come back to mm. some more, then we can do that. You mentioned the, the cause. So, so mm. take a moment and describe the cause, mm. the purpose of Afri Forum. Yes. And, and, I, and I want you to, uh, I mean, I hope that this is an interesting angle I'm coming from. Let's say the slate was clean out there and everyone could hear for the first time without baggage yes. what Afri Forum is about. What would you say to them? Because I know practically we can't. We're, we're all so infiltrated by perceptions and emotional yeah. issues as a country and as a nation. But supposing we're all listening for the first time, what is the purpose and the cause of Afri Forum? Yes, um, if we had hours, I would have loved that we go through the whole process. Um, but when we were formed, uh, we started a, a consultation process uh, with many people to set up what we call our civil rights charter and in Afrikaans a burgerrechte manifest. Um, both the Afrikaans and English versions are on our website where people can go and look look at that. Uh, we drew that app 12 years ago, but it still applies today. Um, what that says is that, um, um, and Afri Forum was initially formed uh, because you had many members of minority communities, especially Afrikaners, that left the country or simply withdrew. And we said, um, in a vibrant democracy, you need to make sure that everybody participates. And we started with that process to say, um, Afrikaners as a minority community um, aren't Europeans. Um, The fact is, um, 
they've been here for more than 360 years in this continent. They became indigenized. Um, they called the language that they, together with many people, both called it Afrikaans and called themselves Afrikaners um, to this continent. And our starting point was to say uh, we see ourselves as Africans. Uh, we know now at home we're not going to, to leave, uh, but we also don't live in this country alone. Uh, so we want to build a future that uh, where, where there can be mutual recognition and respect amongst communities and uh, where there's a prosperous future that is uh, free and, and fair. In terms of um, the Africana perspective, um, um, you know, if people ask us, who are you, we say you shouldn't be false. We call ourselves an inclusive Africana organization. That would mean that anybody that wants to join um, can join us. We, we don't ask any questions on race. And, uh, and we have a number of black people, uh, more colored people, so-called colored people joining us. But the vast majority of people that join us see themselves as, as Afrikaners. But then we say, well, these people want to get involved. Um, but we always joke to say every forum is not like a man. Every forum is like a woman. And in that sense, we can do more than one thing at a time. Mm, multitask. Uh, yeah. So we're not ashamed of the, the fact that we, we take on issues that are of importance to many Afrikaners. Um, there is a voice needed for that. If you don't have that, you will have a radicalization with issues such as the Buramach and so forth. And uh, our view is to say, no, let's work within the democratic framework and mobilize people in a democratic, peaceful way to take part in the debate. But if you do that, it does not mean that you live in isolation to the rest of the community. So we also, if you look at our civil rights charter, we want to make sure that there is fairness towards all the people in the country. And... Uh, we're not going to be false to now take on issues to simply position ourselves. We take the core areas where we work. And in those core areas, uh, we will promote the interests of everybody that would benefit from that. For instance, we say um, every child should have access to quality education. Um, uh, we believe mother tongue education is important and we, um, we fight for the retention of, Afri of Afrikaans as a medium of instruction. But then we were approached by a traditional leader in Kandla asking us to, to support him and his community because the KwaZulu-Natal Educational Department promised them a school um, but they're now, now reneging on that promise. Um, mm. And at the moment, uh, the first court appearance happened, so we're fighting on behalf of that community for a school. You've got lots of uh, little fights that you're fighting for yes, communities. Yes, and the, the Faltain uh, communal, uh, um, traditional community, we're representing them now against uh, a mining company that has moved their uh, graves without permission. Um, we've assisted the Valmanstal Communal Property Association, but if, even if you go and look at our at the moment, we have 105 community safety structures around the country, uh, neighborhood watch kind of uh, projects that we do have. And in those, you, you actually try and bind in everybody in, 
in a broader community to have a concerted effort against crime. Okay. If we fix potholes, last year we fixed 16,000 potholes. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not a, you don't say, well, we fix these potholes now, only Afrikaners can drive in this lane. Sure, yeah. And if you test water. So okay. that is our dual role to create a better future, um, of course, for, for Afrikaners, but for everybody in the country. And that must be based on the principle of mutual recognition and respect. So, I mean, I mean it's, a, it's one thing to have a, a charter, of course. Mm. I know the, the ANC has a beautiful charter, you know, the mm. Freedom Charter. Uh, living it can be another thing. Yes. So, so now we have a much better president in place. We can talk about that later if we have time. Uh, but he often speaks about our people need mm. need their own land. And and then I sit back and say, I, I think I support you, Mr. President. You t- keep talking about our people. Uh, is that mm. Freedom Charter for me as well? Is it for everyone? Is it only for members of the ANC? So it's very easy in the day-to-day mm. fighting politics and trying to balance all the different factions inside your own organization to start losing the vision of your own charter yeah. or your own cause. I think the ANC to a large degree started losing focus on their cause and, and maybe they get back to it now so are you are you you feel you're sticking to that cause that original purpose of the existence of afri forum we're still true to it yes most definitely um i think what we've realized over the last few months um but it's actually started a few years ago um firstly when uh um, president uh Former President Zuma, I can thankfully say, former, um, when he said, you know, all the country's problems started when Jan van Riebeek arrived, he actually criminalized the whole community. Mm. And in a sense, then you have to start tackling those issues. Um, And the problem is in the country is there's not really room for a nuanced debate. Um, You either have to say the existing narrative um, that is driven by the ruling party you have to um, talk within the parameters of, of that narrative. And if you dare move out of that, um, you are being portrayed as something you are not. Um, if you're going to look at all our statements, you know, um, I accept that many people might disagree with some of the things we, we do. But if you realistically look at them, they are all in line with the charter that we started off with. Um, mm. But unfortunately, the method is to try and portray you as some kind of racist or extremist organization. Um, but if you ask people, tell me, show me any statement of ours that were racist, um, show me in terms of what project um, are we extremist, um, they're not able to, t- to tell you that. And I've seen this in discussions with uh, Many ANC leaders, um, they would know exactly, um, and if you, if you have a discussion, they would be in a friendly atmosphere and, um, and there's no question of these kind of allegations. But as soon as you get into a public debate, the easiest way, if you are not going to answer uh, to the issues that are raised, is to simply try and silence the person that has an opposite uh, uh, view. And that is where we need to stand strong. Um, if you are, are going to be demonized for saying something different to the existing narrative, the worst thing you can do is to step back and say, oh, let me rather just keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Um, uh, so that is pioneering work that we need to do to broaden the debate, 
to make sure we can we can allow various views in our country and you don't simply have one narrative that yeah. everybody sla- slavishly has to follow. I think, obviously, if the whole of South Africa was listening to this debate, they'd want me to interrupt you and, and mm. steer it down the line of apartheid wasn't a crime against humanity, yeah. your comment made on, on uh, yes. one of the radio stations. And I, I, I want to come from this angle mm. and, and ask you, a lot has been said and done about that. Okay, well, just mm. said, shall mm. we say. Uh, you were in hot water all over South Africa, social mm. media. If if I was your CBS right now and asked you something or had some conversation with you and you had that moment over again, is there anything you'd say differently? Did you learn something from that specific conversation? I mean, it's under pressure. Mm. It's not your first language. Yeah. And I'm not saying your English is bad, but I mean, you know, people forget that you're having tough conversations about tough issues on platforms with very eloquent, sharp, yeah. intellectually sharp um, people. And that certainly happened with that eloquent man in the studio. Would you do anything different when you look back at it now, hindsight, signs of hindsight? You know, um, I think one can always rationalize and say, no, I would have done it the same. But I actually thought afterwards, what should I have done differently? Mm. And um, I can sincerely say... Um, I would not have done anything different. Um, I would have uh, actually just wanted people to listen to my whole argument. Um, because the same argument I'm going to give you now, I ga- gave also on uh, Eusebius's show. I also stated it in the things I've wrote, written uh, afterwards. Um, but Eusebius elected only to take one sentence and tweet it without saying everything that I said in that whole interview. And that's the society we live in. It's yes. short tweets, yeah. highlights, which people then latch on to, and that stays with us yeah. uh, forever. But for the record, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I said. I said um, I believe apartheid was wrong because it infringed, the, in the end, with the implementation thereof, it infringed on the dignity of many people, and many people were hurt. And that is my exact words, and that's also the Afri Forum position. We don't fight for a better past. We fight for a better future. And we recognized um, that people's dignity was infringed upon, and we work for a system where the dignity of all are respected. That I said quite clearly in the interview. Mm. What I said I refuse uh, to accept, because you must remember I was in that interview with Professor Adam Abib. And it was very negative about Africa. Yes, Forum. well, to, um, to just to give you an example, he said he, he actually compared us with Idi Amin, mm. with Adolf Hitler, um, and we know what Idi Amin did. We know Adolf Hitler, there were six million Jews killed in gas chambers. And what I said there is we don't... Uh, we don't. We're not apartheid denialists of or apartheid apologists. What we say is, uh, we cannot uh, st- um, stand for a situation where um, apartheid is put in the same category as Nazism um, and as a crime against humanity. And that still remains my position. Um, and I'll continue to say that. I'm not going to change it because the the people that. Uh, want to abuse what you're saying. Or heard one little part of it. Yeah. Um, so uh, that is something. And 
the fact is, if Eusebius disagrees with me, that's fine. Um, um, but what is what's happening? You know, um, if you listen to Eusebius's program and many others on on a few of a few other activists that are um, talk radio hosts, and there's a lot of accusations thrown at so-called white people. Um, I don't like that term. I'm an African with a lighter complexion. But they are saying, you know what, you don't want to speak about apartheid. They accuse so-called white people. Uh, you are saying, let's just forget the past and move on. And they say, no, you must, we must speak about the past. Um, but then that invitation or accusation is not sincere. Because what I then said in, in the CBS program, okay, let's speak about it. Um, so they don't. But you see, because he doesn't want me to speak about it. He wants me to simply confirm what his views are. Um, and that is the, the whole problem with this demonization. Um, fortunately, uh, um, if you want to be in the activism space where Afri Forum is, you cannot be too sensitive. Um, you mm -hmm. cannot, um, we always joke to say we're in a boxing ring, and I mean that. Uh, uh, figuratively, and let me just say that because sometimes the same people, if you say something figuratively, they would actually say, "Wow, so you're in the first fight." Um, mm. But if you go into a boxing ring and and you are fighting for a certain cause, um, sometimes people would hit you back. That is how it works. Um, so we're not going to cry about this. This is a strategy that's being used against us, but it cannot uh, silence us. Um, it cannot um, create a situation where we cannot speak about the past. And, you know, many uh, business people from the so-called white community or people that see themselves as progressive, they must realize if you're going to say the whole apartheid history was just one crime scene such as Nazi Germany was, it means that everything that was built even through hard work um, in that time is is something that you gained from a crime. And if you look at the asset forfeiture unit, they're going to take money that you got from a crime. So those, even uh, the so-called left white that's throwing stones at me, they must just ask themselves what the things they have, did they get it through a crime? And then they must give it up. So they can't have the best of both worlds. Um, you have to say there was certain development. People still had to work hard in many instances. And you cannot just say everything was bad. Because um, it's so much about words, Kali. Yeah. Uh, so, so in other words, you're saying you would not have said it differently. I didn't know the context was that Habib yeah. was on the show yeah. and that Nazism and other things were already quoted and mm. mentioned on the show. And therefore, you brought that into your answer mm. or into your statement. That does change the context. Mm. But in isolation... You'd stand on a platform and say apartheid was not a crime against humanity. I'll never say it in isolation. Yeah, um, there's a context around it. Because you have to explain to people um, that, the, you know, um, the, the problem is if you, if you say it in isolation, people would think you're saying apartheid was the best development since Bolton. And, of course, it was not. Um, so... Um, that is the problem. Uh, we in our political debates cannot be done through sound bites or, or sweeping statements, and because that is not so, it doesn't mean I should not be have the ability to continue to to use the same kind of strategy. Um, 
we are all in favor of a nuanced debate, um, tolerance towards varying views. Um, the fact is um, we are in favor of improving this country, um, tackling poverty, fighting crime together with other communities. I've mentioned all those examples. Um, and even if you differ in terms of what terminology should be used, um, you can still, I think we in this country, we focus too much on those issues that we disagree on. And it will be a, a relatively small part of the real issues. I think in most issues mm. we agree on and we should be able to work together um, but to be able to do that, we need tolerance uh, towards diversity, not only cultural diversity, diversity in terms of views. Um, that's when we'll move forward, and that's why we're not going to backtrack. Um, uh, we believe we're on we're the going right into track. the next round. And yes, and uh, of course, anybody can disagree, um, but at least don't throw the low blows. Um, fight within the rules of the public discourse. But, but Kali, I mean, I have a big problem with our public discourse at the moment. It seems like there's something wrong in our society. Um, only radical views or statements drive the public discourse and narrative. So when Malema says something radical, and he's a master at that, I think he plans it almost, or maybe it does come out naturally, radical things, and the media love him, and they report on him, and they follow him, and they give him yeah. much more coverage than the the calm, balanced type leader uh, that tries to do a good job out there. Um, so, so that's what happened. So you came out in a conversation. There was a snippet that was radical, and that took it into a big discourse yeah. and drove the narrative for a while. I mean, uh, I, th I think if we looked at the pie of social media attention, probably took quite a yeah. part of that pie um, in terms of hashtags and things. So, so that worries me. You know, we have these sound bites, as you say. Uh, the only way you can honestly get into the middle of the debate and the discourse is if you say something super radical, and then it pulls you in, and that's risky. Hmm. Is that a problem, old man? I mean, are we we're, – we're not in a healthy way going into good debate necessarily. We, we, <coughs> the, 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 the debate follows radical statements or perceived radical statements. Kali, uh, I appreciate the way you've, you've explained it to us. Uh, I think uh, we'll have to live with the fact that the emotionality is not going to go away overnight. But from a leadership point of view, I must admit what, what we would look for is passionate allegiance to the cause. Now, one advantage of this kind of debate where some of its unreasonable um, standards are being maintained, which is, is not right, is the fact that it does refine your thinking and feelings. I mm. mean, 10, 20 years ago, Carly, one didn't really analyze a part in that sense. We didn't analyze the ANC. Remember the old days, etc. Nowadays, this drives one to analyze these things and decide exactly what do I believe in. You didn't oh, dare analyze Mandela. And well, then you have a Malema yes, come and right. criticize him, yeah. and suddenly people analyze differently. Yeah. Oh, it's like your article on racism, yeah. which is evoking mm. a lot of response. Now, Kali, so therefore, when one goes through this process and you start maintaining a passion for what you're doing, um, after you've done a couple of rounds, and I grew up in a boxing environment, my dad was a professional <laughs> boxer, young, could, could box quite well. So uh, I'm saying this is the good thing about it. So you can't enter this debate. If you're not prepared to be refined by the pressures around you, not so. Mm. And this way, I think you people are going through a process. 
which genuinely is refining you into a convincing, authentic uh, civil rights uh, organization. This is pretty good for the country. Kali, do you feel like you're fighting an uphill battle because you're white in the current context or light-skinned? Um, and or some would say on the wrong side of history. Uh, um, my background, just uh, I don't have a boxing background. I was born looking like this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Something else no, happened along no. the way. No, I think we, um, um, the problem is, uh, I think history plays a, a very big role in terms of who is seen to be able to say something with credibility. Um, yeah. And as soon as uh, somebody um, that sees himself as an Afrikaner um, um, says something, it's immediately um, being analyzed in terms of, of history. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are now two ways you can um, react to this. You can rather say, and that's unfortunately what many people are do, doing, is let me just withdraw. Yeah. Um, and withdrawal, there's many manifestations of that. You mm-hmm. have people now living in Australia, New Zealand, um, the UK, in the USA, and a number of other places mm-hmm. um, that have said, you know what, um, this is, we're not going to be able to build a future because we, we have to stay quiet and, do, and just accept everything that happens. Um, that, of course, um, you would have radical elements on the Julius Malema side that would say, good riddance, um, we should get rid of those people. They should go back to Europe. That is what many, we, uh, many in terms of the threats that we, that we get in the so-called black Twitter. Um, but people should realize many of those people that left um, could have played a huge role in this country generating uh, um, investments, creating jobs, uplifting um, poverty, fighting poverty. Um, so, so that is not for us an option um, to react in that way. The other w- the option is just to keep quiet um, and just say, well, um, let's just take what's happening to us. I always believe you should not be a vic- uh, simply a, a victim of history you should help to write history. And what you do today writes the history that would, people would read tomorrow. Um, and through that, you can make an impact. Um, so our view is to say, let's rather participate, play a constructive role, um, and then um, just make sure that we don't let uh, the consequences of us participating and people trying to demonize you, not to let it silence you. And in the end... Um, we know that um, five million people, of whom the majority are black people, received clean water after we found in the various places we we uh, we tested water that they were it was dangerous, and we acted to make sure it's clean. There we played a prominent role mm-hmm. to to play a, a more positive role. And we will continue to do that. Uh, we don't need the permission of Julius Malema or Eusebius Makaiser. Um, and uh, in, in very hard times, the only thing you can do is to do what you think is right. Don't um, you, the, the, the negative coverage of late, does it not worry you that that erodes the good that you're doing? Um, I think we, we should not um, try and create the South African society um, as one uh, brain that always thinks the same. You know, there's a, 
Winston Churchill had a saying that said we should not confuse published opinion with public opinion. And if you look at some of the Afrikaans media, but also the most uh, English media, uh, you have a handful of people that are controlling the narrative. Um, um, and their views are, are sometimes confused with public opinion. And it's not. It's published opinion. What we've seen in the Afrikaans community, um, in terms of our support, uh, because people are also, we should not underestimate the public's um, ability to make intelligent choices and to see what's happening. In the past, the media had a monopoly. They were able to dictate um, what the, the various uh, labels is. You're either going to be right-wing, left-wing, or they were able to label you as a communist or a liberal. Yep. And they even then had the ability, because they had the monopoly, to put people that differed from them in a specific label. Um, they would say, um, in the past, this person is a communist, or he's a liberal, mm -hmm. or he's a right-wing or left-wing. Um, but the brilliant thing about social media is it, has, it broke that monopoly. Um, yeah. And what we see in terms of the Afrikaans community, the unfair attacks have no effect. Um, no, it has an effect. It makes us stronger. Um, for every one member we lost um, during this, uh, these attacks on us, 17 others joined. Um, so that has grown. Um, in terms of the broader community in the country, we are, of course, we are worried. Uh, we want to um, sh give out the hand of friendship towards uh, the black people, all people in this country. And of course you are worried, what would the Eusebius effect be on a normal black people on grassroots level? But we have actually a, a quite a interesting, uh, if I look at in terms of black people, normally you would think, think people on, on grassroots level are the radical people and they become less radicalized the bigger they put, or the higher up they are in the in the elite, but not. But it seems it's the other way around. It may have um, changed over the years. Yes, and and what we experience in this time, uh, our community safety people went to work, for instance, uh, with a community safety initiative in Suwetu, and the relations there were good. There was no question about That's this. Very interesting. We find that on grassroots level. So, of course, uh, we don't enjoy the fact that people um, um, that don't necessarily have the grassroots support, but they have a monopoly on what is being said. We yeah. don't like it if they demonize us. But fortunately, um, I think people can think for themselves, and there are more than enough people from all communities yeah. that would say, Let's work for a better future, and those are the people's hands that we are going to take. Uh, I mean, we're running out of time, but uh, I, I think in many respects what you're saying uh, kind of proves that Malema is right as well. He also talks about a few people driving a narrative. Um, yes, and he's, he's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in some way. But it's, he calls it other things. He says white monopoly capital uh, um, control the media, for example. Or, you know, he's got other ways of saying other things that suit his, his agenda. But... Uh, um, you also had the overseas trip that just, I mean, we don't have enough time to analyze that in detail, but it just sparked incredible uh, reaction when, uh, you know, some would call it a unpatriotic act, act and you guys called it a patriotic act. act. Yes. And that's the diversity in our country. Um, just 
You know, I, I watched that with keen interest. I, I, I have a lot of thoughts on my mind, but I watched your, your colleague, Aaron's Roots, uh, sitting on, I think, Tucker is the one guy mm. who's very uh, influential, you know, polished um, talk show host on TV, eloquent English, saying he's saying, making radical statements. And the challenge is, Aaron's Roots may sit on the platform and say the right things. But when that guy says the wrong things, then he doesn't necessarily... Uh, isn't necessarily that present that he corrects him. So it's, it's, it's that challenging. Um, as if you and I were having a debate here and I'm saying mm. something really radical, and you have the opportunity to correct me, but but you just continue with your message, which is fine. You're driving your message. But people don't see that. They don't just see what you're saying. Mm. Is that correct or not? They They watch how you react towards the presenter or towards the interviewer. Are you actually correcting this guy when he says there's a full-scale genocide in the country? Or whatever. So it's a, it must have been an interesting learning curve for you guys to be over there mm. on those platforms, driving something genuine and good, I think, mm. but learning key lessons, even micro lessons mm. of those interviews <laughs> with these people. Just take a minute on that. I mean, what, what went on there? This big blow up about your trip overseas. No, um, maybe I've, if, People look at that interview, they sh- would see that Tucker in the intro, he has a different tie <laughs> than the one he has during the interview. Oh, yes. So the intro was was uh, done afterwards. Um, but I'm not uh, cr- yeah. criticizing um, Tucker. The fact is, it seems like in this country we've become so used to the violence and terrible things that are happening um, that, it, that we try to normalize it. Um, yeah. If you're going to have attacks on farms, and um, in terms of the statistics uh, we have, and we we can verify every number with names and places, um, yeah, 20%, 20% of these attacks are, uh, is accompanied by torture. People are – electric drill is being used – was used uh, the other day to drill a hole into an elderly woman's feet. Um, you had a man that was tortured with a blowtorch. Oh, so, um, so those things are. So, if if a person sitting on the outside um, sees this, and and then says this is terrible, the, uh, the I first see thing, what you're saying. Um, we've we've tried to normalize it. So, that, that what's you, the other word? We we we've become um, numb a bit. Yes. Um, Even murder is not on the front page yeah. anymore. Those sort of things. So, so what you're saying? Let me just understand. This helps me to understand mm. more. Is that they state it very radically on their side, but that's how they see it because because it hasn't become normal to them, or they're not that yeah. numb necessarily. The outside view sees the aggression more than we do, almost. Yes. Um, but we've got to, you know. Um, the the problem is that um, you know um, people try to portray uh, the U.S. visit as radical. Um, what is radical? If you're going to expropriate land without compensation, or at least if the ruling party at the Congress in the past December decides, um, expropriation without compensation is our policy. That is radical. Um, and why I say it's radical? It's not radical just towards uh, property owners. It's radical towards everybody in this country. Mm. Um, if you look what happened in Venezuela, Cuba, Zimbabwe, we know that's radical. So that is the radicalization 
So if we say, okay, this is going to be terrible, we don't want a 90% unemployment rate as we see in Zimbabwe, we need to stop this. And you say, okay, in the past we've had many discussions with the ANC, we've been ignored, so we need some kind of pressure mechanism to make sure that they listen. Because the ANC says, come back, don't go over there, come talk to yeah, us. But we've talked to them we talk to them every year. Uh, we have regular meetings, um, mm. and we've had uh, all we get when we visit them is tea and sympathy, um, but no real action on core issues. Um, and the fact that they're reacting this manner, and um, well, it's too soon to say, but um, if you look at how confidently uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa just after their conference went to the in Goodwill Zelatini and saying we are going to take land without compensation and give it to our people and if you listen now there's a softening in there's the tempering, stock definitely. they're tempering um, so you may have impacted to some of degree of course, yeah. um, that's how it works at the moment there is a, the ANC, then the EFF uh, puts pressure on them they are moving towards the EFF you need a counterbalance and the counterbalance is not going to just give good, uh, good arguments. Of course, you need good arguments, but you need uh, counterbalance pressure. And that is what we've done. And okay. the country should be happy because we want to save the, the, the economy from being destroyed. History will tell to a large degree, wouldn't it? Kali, we can talk about that issue mm-hmm. for long. And, and, and I'd like to have an open discussion, but our time is up. Just are we doing enough to create unity in our country? Yes, I think uh, in terms on grassroots level, there's more um, of it there. We should um, make sure that we do much more. Uh, the first thing you can start o- off is to respect everybody just in your daily lives. Um, if you move around in the country and you speak to people, um, make sure that um, through your behavior, you make sure that we build a respect for the dignity of all people and that is the message towards Afri Forum members. It's a message towards everybody in the country. Um, uh, that's where it starts, and we should build from there. Um, if you and that's also the way to neutralize somebody like Julius Malema that makes polarizing statements. Uh, people that want to say we make the same kind of statements, they must just show me where. Um, so that is where we should start. Um, respect people's dignity. And if you do that, you can also with confidence ask that people also should respect your dignity. And that is what AfriForum does. Kali Creel, CEO of AfriForum, thank you for joining us. Uh, difficult conversations and um, time flies too fast. But you're part of the, the country's narrative. Um, I believe so much in that principle of counterbalances. I can see that happening. And, uh, and, and, and thank you for trying to make a difference in the country. You know, like so many other leaders, we appreciate your, your time on the platform. Old man, we, our time is up. Just want to take a statement. Every forum is playing a historic role in giving the, uh, the, the Afrikaner um, a, a, a new vision. So the word Afrikaner is actually African. <laughs> it's remarkable that people have realized that. And I think uh, that role is a vital one to bring that balance in our country. Thank you, uh, Kali. Thank you for joining us. This week's Leadership Masterclass. Look forward to being with you again next week, every Monday, 1 to 2, live on Cliff Central. Uh, Cheers, everyone. This is cliffcentral.com.